Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Good morning. My name is James Shelby, and I will be reading Luke 13, 31 through 35. At that time, some Pharisees approached Jesus and said, Go, get away from here, because Herod wants to kill you. Jesus said to them, Go tell that fox, Look, I'm throwing out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will complete my work. However, it's necessary for me to travel today, tomorrow, and the next day, because it's impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you. How often I have wanted to gather your people just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you didn't want that. Look, your house is abandoned. I tell you, you won't see me until the time comes when you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the Lord's name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. James, thanks very much for reading the scripture today. Appreciate you doing that. In early February, uh, Mary and I went to Fort Worth to the Kimball Museum to see an exhibition of the artwork of uh, uh, William Turner. Uh, he's widely regarded to be the greatest landscape artist England has ever had. Uh, he was born in 1775, died 1851. Uh, and, and when you think about his lifespan, there were some things about his life that you always, of course, saw show up in his art. I mean, that's true of any artist. <laughs> the things they experience are going to show up in their art. And so thinking about his life, I mean, one of the things he lived through was the Industrial Revolution, uh, which England, of course, was one of the forerunners of the Industrial Revolution. So he saw this amazing progress, technological progress that was made. You could manufacture things quickly and, and employ people in, a, in, in, a, on the, in the factories and all that kind of stuff. But he also got to see some of the unintended consequences. He got to see, of course, the pollution, the amazing amount of pollution that it produced. Uh, he got to see uh, some people became very wealthy during that time, and some people became uh, tremendously poor during that time. So he lived through that. He got to see that unfold in his lifetime. But also, over his lifespan, pretty much that entire time, England was at war with somebody that whole time. I mean, in 1776, July 4th, those colonies dared say that they were going to be independent. Of course, that, so that started the war then. Then there's the whole French Revolution thing that happened. Then there's the War of 1812. I mean, most of his life, England was at war with somebody. And so you see these things depicted in his art uh, in one way or another. And, 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 his, and his method was typically, of course, it evolved over his career, but the way he would do it is there would be something in there that would have in amazing light. You'd almost think there's a light behind the, the painting. And so, you would, so that drew your attention. Now, sometimes that light was something beautiful. Sometimes it was something terrible. And that light would spread, of course, through part of the, of the painting, but then the light would dim. And you get to the edges, and it's in the shadows. And, and so the rest of the painting, the, the, from the, the sides and the bottom, all that, it's like that's what's close to you. The, the, the light, the thing you had drawn you was something in the distance. But as you look to the edges, those are things close. And you can see people's faces. Now, in all of his paintings, you've got to look at the whole painting. You can't just be drawn to the middle of it and go, oh, wow, that's really cool. You've got to look at the whole thing. 
Because in every painting, there's meaning. It's not just a pretty scene. There's a meaning in it. Now, often when we see a work of art, we ask, what does it mean? What's the point? What's the artist trying to tell me to go do? Well, probably the artist is trying to communicate a whole lot of things, right? I mean, we all, we all know the saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. The artist is probably trying to get you to, to see, feel, experience a variety of things in that time. There may be a point to it. Maybe it's just the expression that they want you to experience. And, and, and of course, what happens is you can say, oh, I see this, and the person next to you says, oh, I don't see that at all. I see something different. You know, we see, everybody sees what they see. These five verses that James read, uh, I thought were very interesting. I mean, I just to me, they were, they were fascinating. Because I, I think the Bible is somewhat like art at times. Because you can read a passage, and if you're just trying to distill it to, well, this is what, it's, this is what it means. Sometimes we miss the point. Sometimes we need to see it on a grander scale. So you see these, these only five verses, but really interesting. Um, one thing might get our attention to start with, but we got to also look at the rest of the painting. Where do you see the light? Where do the shadows begin? Who is in the shadows? How are people positioned in relation to one another in the painting? All of that tells a story. Well, in this, Jesus is clearly the central figure in this painting that the passage creates. Jesus is the central figure. Obviously, there's a lot of art (laughs) depicting Jesus in a variety of ways. Uh, This one that you're looking at happens to be from a Latin artist. A lot of different depictions of Jesus. And the occasion, so he's, he is central to the painting. We, we see that right away. It's, it's, this is about Jesus. Makes sense. I mean, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, according to Luke. But the occasion is, is that he's in conversation with some Pharisees, and they are warning Jesus he better leave because Herod is coming to kill him. The Pharisees, remember, they, that was a kind of a, a group within Judaism in the time uh, they were, they were uh, I mean, they knew the Bible, um, what we would say about, they knew the Bible forward and backward. I mean, they knew it and they lived it. And they expected everybody else to live it too. And they were very vocal about how everybody's supposed to live it. And, and, and they're warning Jesus, but the fair, wait, wait, the Pharisees? Because everywhere else in the gospel, aren't they arguing? Jesus and the Pharisees? Isn't he always saying, don't be like the Pharisees? And so here they're helping him? Why? I mean, that seems... Odd, but but we, we sometimes forget, lose sight of the fact that that while Jesus argued with the Pharisees, he wasn't trying to eradicate them. He wasn't trying to say there should not be any Pharisees. He's not saying that. He's saying they've just missed the point. They've gotten so focused on minutiae, they've gotten so focused on certain particulars that they're missing the grander picture of what God is doing in the world. And he's challenging them on that constantly. So it's, it's likely there were some Pharisees that were familiar with Jesus and they agreed with him. So it could be that they did that. Now, on the other hand, uh, it could be a, a setup. It could be, you know what, we are really tired of this Jesus dude, and so we're going we're gonna to just tell him Herod's out here to kill him, 
and see if he'll just leave. Could have been that. It's hard to tell from what the scripture says. It's hard to tell when you look at that painting exactly what's going on. Of course, eventually, Jesus is arrested. Eventually, soldiers do arrest Jesus. That's right. That will happen later in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, right outside the walls of Jerusalem, where Jesus has just had his last supper with the disciples. And he went out to the garden to pray, and there he was arrested. That, that, ha- that, that will happen. We'll get there. Meanwhile, Jesus tells the, the Pharisees, he says, you tell that fox. Now, is that really the worst insult somebody can do? A fox? I mean, they're cute. Right? They're cute. Mary and I, when we moved into the house in Abilene uh, before moving out here, uh, uh, we discovered that uh, we had some, uh, in, our, in our backyard, living under the shed in our backyard, was a family of fox, a mama and seven cubs. Uh, and so they were cute. I mean, you could open the blinds in our bedroom window and just right there they would play. Sometimes they're on the windowsill of the, of the window on the ledge, and man, they were just cute and fun to watch. One night, uh, we were sitting there watching TV. We're sitting in our, in, our, in our den, looking at the TV on the wall, and to the left is uh, the, the, the glass doors that open out onto the patio in the backyard. So you can see out, and then you can see the brick wall over here. And sitting on top of that brick wall is the mama fox, just sitting there, looking right at us. It's, it's pretty cool. But sitting between me and Mary on the couch was our small dog, See, I had seen Mama come home on a couple of occasions with dinner for the family. She would get under that shed, and boy, those cubs would just get right under there, too, to eat dinner. And I couldn't, I, don't, I mean, I don't know, but I was sure thinking she was looking at our dog. And now, now those foxes weren't so cute. Especially in the ancient world, I mean, foxes, I mean, they might have been admired for how smart they were, but they were also a predator that would get their their animals. They did not like foxes. And even Mary and I had to make the decision that we were going to have to have the family relocated. So we brought in somebody, at some expense, by the way, that is not a cheap uh, process, uh, to have them relocated. And no fox were injured in any way. You can be assured they were fine. They're, yeah, that's right. That's right. The fox were fine. They went on to do their own thing. So this is an insult that Jesus is aiming at Herod. That you tell that fox, that predator, that person that's, that may be smart, makes you think everything's okay. No, he's going to get you. Uh, you tell that fox. I love. I just love this response. You tell that fox. I'm throwing out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. I mean, it's kind of like saying, you know what, I'm busy. I got stuff going on. He can threaten me all he wants. I don't care. I'm doing stuff today and tomorrow. And, and if he wants to come after me for throwing out demons and healing people, wow, that's a big threat. He can come after me if he wants to. Because that's what Jesus is about. 
He's about doing good for others. He's about, he's about uh, showing his divine power over evil. He's about helping change people's lives. And I, he's going to keep doing that. Tell that fox, I'm busy today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will complete my work. I will finish my work. Now, that's, yes, that's foreshadowing of his resurrection. He's got things to do, and there comes a time that, yes, it's complete. He, is, he defeats even death. But that is yet to come. Jesus is traveling. He's on the road. Um, and it, this all really begins back in, in the ninth chapter. You know, every gospel writer kind of tells the story, structures it a little bit differently. And, and, and Luke has Jesus at chapter 9 uh, head down the road to Jerusalem. It says, when G, before it was his time to be taken up into heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Resolutely. In other words, he would not be deterred. He was going to go there. He would not he would not be distracted. Nothing could stop him from getting to Jerusalem. And so this whole thing, all these events that happen on the road are on the road to what's going to happen in Jerusalem in chapter 19. And so Jesus says, so I must press on. He's got to keep going. He's got to keep down the road toward Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem had a history with the way they dealt with prophets, as Jesus said. You know, a prophet can't get killed outside of Jerusalem. It seems to always happen on the inside. And that was indeed their history. I mean, when you, there are numerous prophets that had been killed inside of Jerusalem because people didn't like their message. The Old Testament prophets Zechariah and Uriah were killed in Jerusalem. Manasseh, who was the worst ruler of Israel ever, uh, he made sure some of the prophets were killed because he didn't like their message. Legend has it that prophet Isaiah was killed in Jerusalem. And certainly later in Acts chapter 7, we see in the early Christian church the first Christian martyr, Stephen, who was killed in Jerusalem. So Jesus will get to Jerusalem. He will get there. But he cares for them. He's not going there angry to say, I can't believe you people, we're going to wipe you out. No, he, he, he laments them. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish I could take you under my wings as a hen does her chicks. I mean, that's not anger, that's love. That's compassion. How I wish I could take you under my wings, but you're not willing. Why, why would he want to take them under his wings? Well, maybe to protect them from a fox. He loves them even though he knows what's going to happen. So he will get to Jerusalem. He will enter into, into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey where they're going to wave palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's, that's what it said in verse 35, isn't it? He said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus will be arrested, and Jesus will be crucified. In Jerusalem. There's a lot going on in this passage, friends. There's a lot to observe in this painting. What does it all mean? What's the point? What does it tell us to do? You know, there's a lot of times that the point of a scripture passage, the meaning of a scripture passage, is, is to encourage us and to say, be assured. Be assured. Have hope. Don't give up. Keep the faith. 
Jesus is going to do the work Jesus is supposed to do. He's going to do the things necessary for the rebuilding to happen. Jesus will work despite the threats of violence. He will work despite the the betrayal that will happen, in spite of the fact that things get worse before they get better. He is going to keep going because he can complete his work on the third day. God has got this. All is not lost. Certainly things can seem dark and murky in in this journey of Jesus to Jerusalem. Things can seem dark and murky uh, in our time. That doesn't mean that God is not about the recreation of everything. That doesn't mean that God is not at work. You and I see construction all the time. Gosh, you just drive around town, go down the highway, there's construction everywhere. And, and I don't know about you, but there's often I'm driving down and there's a, a piece of land that has been empty, there's nothing happening, and all of a sudden there's heavy equipment on it. And I'm thinking, what, what happened? I mean, what's going on? All of a sudden, they're building all of a sudden, this is happening, and they're digging trenches for utility, and they're and they're. Then you wonder. It seems like it takes forever, right? This is so slow. Aren't they ever going to get finished with this thing? When it seems like they're not doing anything. Well, of course they are. <laughs> and the thing is, before that heavy equipment got on that property to start pushing dirt around, they have spent months or maybe years planning. Property had to be purchased. They had to have the zoning done. They had to have easements figured out. They had to have all the things. There was a lot that had to happen before they ever put equipment on that land. There was work going on. It's just that we didn't see it. God is at work. We may not always see it. Sometimes it may seem like it's taking forever. It may seem that we only get a, a glimpse of something, but God is at work. This passage is saying God has got this. Not only that, God invites us to join in that work. The message of the scripture is, is that, yes, God is at work, and God, Jesus, is always reaching out saying, need your help. So we can join the work, uh, uh, God, in the work of rebuilding, uh, and the place to begin is with our own lives. That's where we begin. There was a quote from Pope Francis recently regarding Lent, where he said, Lent is a time, great time for us to, uh, to deny ourselves. He said, but something, something to the effect of, but don't just deny yourself coffee and chocolate. Deny yourself something that is going to be beneficial for somebody else. I mean, you could deny yourself resentment you've held on to for a long time. You could deny yourself um, make, uh, insisting on your own way when the other person is equally right. You could give up something, something even tangible. I mean, you could give up. I, I was at a church once that several of them had a practice of on Wednesdays. They would, they would not eat at lunch. Some, some of them wouldn't eat breakfast either. They would uh, not eat lunch, and then th- th- their thought was, okay, well, if I went out to eat, I'd probably pay 15 bucks for lunch, you know, whatever it is. So they were not going to eat, and they were going to take that money and keep it through. And so instead of just keeping track, and, and you know, they literally would go and get cash from the bank, so that every Wednesday they would take that fifteen dollars and put it in a jar, with the idea that at the end of Lent they were going to take that money and give it to somebody where it could be used to help somebody else. Now it wasn't going to be a huge amount of money, but that wasn't the point. 
So at the end, they would, they would take that money and they would maybe give it to a place like Community Lifeline Center here in McKinney, or they might give it to the church, or they might, or they might know somebody in their life that's just really having some financial troubles. And they would go to that person and say, look, I, I know there's some, there's some struggles going on, and God, God has blessed me, and I, I just, there's, here's just a little bit of money. I just want to help you out. It's just a gift. Just Deny yourself something that helps somebody else, that benefits somebody else. That, friends, is part of the rebuilding. That's part of the recreation that God is about. So this scripture is a picture of the faithful and courageous Jesus in the face of opposition and difficulty. It's intended to inspire us. It's intended to help us to be resolute about our journey. Where do you see the light of Christ in the world? Where do you see shadows? Who's in those shadows? Those who might be unnoticed. How are the people in relation and position to one another? How might God be at work in this world that we see? Yeah, Jesus must travel. Jesus must travel, and we ourselves are on a journey through Lent. And Jesus will continue the work he's doing. And Jerusalem will be a defining moment. Let's pray. God, we thank you for that faithful and courageous Jesus. A faithful and courageous Jesus who continued to do the work that you had called him to do in spite of the the difficulty, in spite of the violence, in spite of everything, he kept working. So thank you, God, for the work that you have done through Jesus Christ and call us to. So as we go on this journey through Lent, I pray that you will be with us to help us to be resolute, that we too will move toward whatever it is you're doing in this world to bring recreation, to reshape this world back into your intended design. God, help us to be the people that will serve you and serve your people well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.